What's up, everybody, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Marking Our Territory with the Big Dogs podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Gartino, and across the computer is my boy and longtime friend, Zachary Zaranz. What's going on, dude? What's up? How are you guys doing? Definitely a historic day over here. We've been talking about this for a long time. Are you ready to usher in the new era of sports podcasting? I'm so ready. All right. So uh, let's give the, uh, the audience a little bit to know about ourselves. Uh, you want to tell them about who you are, you know, maybe some of the teams you're a fan of and uh, how we got to know each other? Sure. Uh, well, I'm Zach Zarans. I'm ZZ of the Big Dogs, um, South Florida sports fan, graduated from FSU, so Marlins, Yankees, Dolphins, anyone in the NFL, really. Heat. Wide variety of teams. Yeah, Zach and I, we met at FSU in like 2013, had a nice long stint at the Seminole Golf Course, playing four times a week, walking the, walking the course nine holes a day. Uh, I live currently still in Tallahassee, hopefully on the move soon to Colorado, out to Denver. Uh, I'm all New York fan, Yankees, Rangers, Giants, uh, except for basketball. I'm a Denver Nuggets fan. Um, so you ready to get into this? We'll, we'll give the audience a little bit of what we got. Let's go. Let's give them what they want. All right. So I would say that it wouldn't be a sports podcast if we didn't get into the most obvious topic of discussion. The Super Bowl is set. We had a wild conference championship weekend. Uh, two overtime games. The Rams beat the Saints 26 to 23 in overtime. And the Patriots beat the Chiefs 37 to 31 in overtime. Uh, you want to give us a little recap on what happened in those games? Just... Two good games came down to the end. Hell of an NFC Championship and AFC Championship weekend. Probably the best in uh, recent memory. You know, everyone knows what the Saints game came down to. That no call. Saints fans are salty as fuck. Dude got absolutely blasted. I can't believe that that actually happened. Now you see all the things that are going on. People are buying, like, billboards in different cities. Not even just in New Orleans. They're buying billboards everywhere saying that the Saints got robbed. I'm still not convinced that it wasn't tipped. I, you know, I'm at not the line, lie. I was on the, I was on the road, I was driving, so I didn't get to watch any of that game. I didn't make it home until right before halftime of the Patriots game, but obviously I've seen the replay a million times. What, what are we debating about? It got tipped at the line of scrimmage? Tipped at the line of scrimmage. There's just one angle from the stands, like from the end zone angle that shows the ball, like having a little different trajectory right after it passes the line of scrimmage and then the dude gets blown up. And what would that do for the ruling of the play? If it's tipped, you could lay anyone out, whoever you want to. Oh, so it would have been a legal play then is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And at what point in the game did that actually happen? Like end of the fourth quarter. Oh, so that was like right there, right in the crucial moments. Right, crucialist moment. So I, I saw early in the game that Saints had like a – okay, there it is. I, if, we, if anyone was betting the over-under on how long it took the animals to screw up the podcast, there it is. We're like three minutes in, and the cat's already making fucking noises. Um, so I saw the Saints were up something like uh, 16 to 10 at halftime or something like that, and the Rams clearly came back, had a decent second half to pull off the victory. Um, same thing in the other game, Patriots-Chiefs. Patriots get out to an early lead. Uh, what did they go into halftime looking at 14 nothing 14 nothing definitely could have been more they were dominating that entire first half looked like the Chiefs couldn't move the ball and the Patriots were just pretty much getting what they wanted Tommy was perfect on third down I think in the first half um then going to the locker rooms for halftime come back out Chiefs have a quick 
five plays, 73 yards, and a touchdown. And at that point, you thought that maybe they were going to catch some of the lightning in the bottle that they had all season long. Uh, Patrick Mahomes throwing some dimes. Travis Kelsey with the eventual touchdown. Uh, what do you think? What, what happened there at the end of the game that like could have gone differently to give the Chiefs even more of an advantage? I mean, like you said, like you said earlier, the, the Patriots were just dominating that whole game. They had double the amount of plays ran than the Chiefs. So when it came down to it at the end of the game, they were still on the field, and the Chiefs' defense was just uh, like gassed. And what they were doing, they were selling out for the run. So they were just like one on one everywhere else, and Brady was just picking them apart. Well, we were Brady, talking about Edelman. it. It's it's stupid that anyone in the playoffs is willing to play a zone defense. Well, they were they're I mean they were manning up, but yes, it is stupid to play his own defense. Kansas City was manning up, but it, it was like the Patriots were going to either gash him if the run if they were playing back and playing in the zone, or gash him on the pass. That was definitely something that I think kind of went unnoticed throughout the season was the fact that the Patriots had multiple running backs that were very effective. So Sony Michelle, obviously the rookie out of Georgia. I don't want to get that wrong. Yep, He's rookie out of Georgia had a good season, if not great. Uh, Rex Burkhead was hurt most of the season, but even when he came back, he had a solid showing, definitely like a change of pace. And James White, I mean, probably the most underrated running back in the entire NFL. Without a doubt. And, I mean, especially in the playoffs, he is so crucial to what the Patriots do. If, I mean, how many times did you see them have nothing downfield and they get an easy dump to James White? And yeah, eight-yard eight play that no one else really gets in the NFL. Yep, it was ridiculous. So... Patriots doing what they do now looking forward we got the Super Bowl in two weeks uh clearly we'll probably have a little bit more discussion about it on next week's podcast but let's go ahead and like do a little bit way too early prediction do you want to do you want to maybe kick off our first segment Ooh, go ahead which which is a favorite my favorite part of sports radio or just listening to podcasts in general is like prediction radio which people say is like the worst kind of radio when you just give Give your percentage chance on what you think is going to happen yeah, in the future. Because nice. you're it never no wrong weight. in the moment. No, yeah, you sound sound so smart in the moment. You're like, you know what? I agree with that. So this is going to be our segment. It's just called Math Prediction Radio. What's your percentage chance that the Patriots blow out the Rams? Blow out the Rams. So what, what do you consider a blowout? Like Ten or more. Ten or more? In the Super Bowl, that's a blowout. Hmm. I... I don't want to. I don't know if I want to go north of fifty percent. I'm going to go somewhere below there, maybe like a forty-one percent chance. What's your percentage chance that the Rams blow out the Patriots? Zero percent. Okay. There's. It, it's. I mean, it's pretty much the same mindset that I have every year with the Patriots going into the Super Bowl. Last year, I would have never guessed that Philadelphia had a chance to put up a fight against them, and they made it into a game. Um, if the Rams win the game. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game because we saw the way that they played against the Chiefs. I'm talking about the Rams. They just they get suckered into other people's games. And Jared Goff is going to end up having to have the best game of his season, best game of his career. And they just got to hope that Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue come up big in the second half because I, I think the first half is going to be very similar to what we saw in the Pats-Chiefs game. Best thing that the Pats do is take away your best weapon and play to your weakness. Well, the so, Rams are already at a disadvantage because their best weapon is Todd Gurley, 
and he hasn't even been a major part of the game plan for what the last two or three weeks so so they're basically just going to take away like everything from golf and kind of like make the running backs beat them and that's I don't think they're going to have enough to overcome Tom Brady with C.J. Anderson and Gimpy Gurley. C.J. Anderson and his fat boy body. He's giving all the fat boys like a reason to, <laughs> a reason to try out for sports again. And How old do you think C.J. Anderson is? Mm, I feel like he's been around for a long time, but that doesn't really mean anything. Uh, 29. I think he's 27. I, I like how you asked the question without even having the answer on hand. You were just like, I, I, I heard it one time, but I just don't want to say that's a fact. I'm, I'm not wrong then. In the moment, you're never wrong. C.J. Anderson is 29 years old. Okay, how much do you put or 27? How much do you put into the Brandon Cooks revenge game? He had one last nah. week. What did he do? Caught a big play. Big play. So this week against the Pats, it seemed like he kind of had a disgruntled season with the Patriots last year. I think the stats were maybe there. I think he ended up having over 1,000 yards with the Patriots, maybe close to 10 touchdowns. But in that offense, it's always hard to like find a big I think goal. it's hard to have a revenge game against the Patriots. Patriots will have a revenge game against you because you go to the Patriots and tell them your weaknesses. They asked the, like, ask Brandon Cooks, what are the Patriots' weaknesses here? He's like, nothing. Personally, dude, I cannot stand the fact that the Patriots – themselves are buying into this idea that they're underdogs it just like it literally pisses me off and every single time you turn on espn or watch something on twitter you see tom brady making another comment about i i'm too old you're you're too slow you know you see all these things that are like they're literally just building the super bowl dvd for him i think that they should just argue that people are saying that tom's too old not that they suck like just i'm not too old but, but then it's too much of like a personal that? thing. Who's who's arguing that? Max Kellerman? Some people. People out there. I mean, Stephen Twitter. A. Smith, he early in the postseason, he had his top five postseason quarterbacks. I'm pretty sure he had Andrew Luck number one out in the first round. He had Tom Brady number five. I think Patrick Mahomes, who had never started a game in the playoffs, as his number two quarterback. So the only person I can think of is Stephen A. Um, so do you want to give like a legit prediction on what the score might be or do you want to go ahead and save a little bit more of that let's save it okay let's save it okay so that you got any other math predictions that we got for the week keeping it moving you what you at you back what i lost you for a second oh yeah no i'm i'm still here that's all right see we're going through these little like ebbs and flows a little bit of uh a little bit of issues here do you have any other math predictions for the week um yeah, you want to you want to finish this off? Okay, we, we'll do. Um, since uh, we're alumnos, give me um, percentage chance Knowles make a bowl. Eighty-five. Percentage chance that they're over ten wins. Over ten wins. Ten wins or above. Mm. Greater than or equal to. That's a lot of wins, especially in the ACC right now with Clemson and. I mean, not that I usually think Miami's any good. I, I would say that's another one south of 50, so 45%. Okay. That uh, seems high. What do you think? Well, 10 wins? Yeah. I haven't I'd even looked at the schedule. I think we have Boise in our first game. 40%. It's so close to go from six wins to 10 wins. But the fact that we're talking about the Knowles season in late January is a little bit ridiculous, but that, that's the that's the that's the name of the game in the sports podcast, I guess, right? 
Yeah. Okay. We'll go on a little more up your alley. What What's uh your Harper and Machado to the Yankee percentage chance? We've been talking about this for way too long. It's literally nauseating to keep on talking about these two guys. It's the only baseball storyline. It really is. You, today, AJ Pollock got signed by the Dodgers. I don't know if you care about that. That's a little fantasy relevance. New center fielder for the Dodgers. Um, by for, Matt Kemp. He's already got traded. He got traded to the Reds, I think, or something like that, or maybe back to the Braves. Bye. Bye. Um, <laughs> Machado, the reports have said that he's getting lowballed by the White Sox. Supposedly, the Padres are going to be looming. Machado, I'm going to go on the low end. I think we're down to like 25% chance. Boot, Harper, it's just very eerily similar to the situation that happened with Teixeira in before the mm-hmm. 09 season. Cashman kept on saying, we have a first baseman, we have a team, we have a lineup, and out of nowhere comes out of left field and signs Teixeira. And Cashman and Scott Boris have a really good rapport with each other. And Harper just makes way too much sense in Yankee Stadium. We don't have that many lefty bats. And as much as Cashman wants to try and say that a combination of Gardner, Ellsbury, and Clint Frazier could make up left field, having Harper in left field and an outfield of Harper, Hicks, Judge, and then Stanton at DH, I mean, that's just disgusting. I, I'm All right, give me the percentage. Give me that percentage. 60%. I, I'm a little bit higher. You're pushing me along. Nice. I like that. What do you think? Uh, 10% chance for both of them. Okay. That was fun. All right, one more. Nuggets, uh, Western Conference Finals. 100%, baby. All right, let's go. All right. All right. What Math prediction radio. We'll, we'll see you next time. So let's uh, let's get into a little bit more. We'll, we'll do. We'll hit another segment. Right back to back segments. This is one that carries over from our old podcast. It's just called Top Three, Bottom Three, where we rank some things. Did you actually have anything planned for this? I got an idea. Okay. So this week, in light of the horrible call in the Saints Rams game, we're going to do the top three and bottom three moments for referees. Um, I think we should start with the top. What do you What do you got? My top. Um, Give me your number three. Ed Hockley. That's so funny, dude. We we clearly didn't talk to each other <laughs> about this. My my number three top three is anytime Ed Hockley calls a game because he has pythons. Yep, um, he was probably the best ref in the NFL. Retired. He was a top moment of refs. All right, those arms. What about number two? Uh, what do you got for number two? I've really only got a number one, so. <laughs> My number, uh, I don't know, give me number one. I don't got a number two All either. Right, so this I got three, bottoms. This I got top bottoms. three has turned into a top two and really just like a one and a half because we shared it. Uh, number one for me is Wes McCauley. I don't know. It's. I think I'm probably the only person that is going to be a part of or listen to this podcast that actually watches hockey. But Wes McCauley is a referee in the NHL, and he has a flair for the dramatic. I'm. I'm hopefully going to try and find a, a link for every or a soundbite for everybody so they can hear a little bit of his pizzazz. Drop the soundbite here. Here's the announcement. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice. Stands. We got a goal. Wes McCauley adding some drama to the call. Much to the delight of the crowd here in San Jose. Carlson's goal is good. 
Just making sure everyone hears the whistle. The guy in the nosebleed heard it too. Okay, just making sure. Oh, I got number two. Oh, tell me your number two. Cowboy Joe West in baseball. He's the worst, dude. Nobody likes Joe West. But everyone hates him, but everyone respects him. I don't know about that. I feel like he's one of those guys that all the pitchers can't stand seeing, and he's so fat. But he's like the most famous ump. Definitely. He's definitely among the most well-known umps in the league. And that's not a good thing, but for him it's a good thing. Right. Um, Cowboy. Bottom three. What about your bottom three? I've got a bottom one. So. All right. I got my number three is the the, uh, touchdownception. Rodgers and Russell Wilson, Hail Mary, where one one ref calls a touchdown and one ref calls an interception right at the same time. They're so ridiculous, dude. That was the uh, replacement referees that oh, year. Oh, I remember that now that you say it. Dude, I can't stand Aaron Rodgers and his Hail Marys. He beat the Giants in the playoffs two years ago with a Hail Mary right before halftime to Randall Cobb. Fucking dagger. And that was the year that I thought the Giants had like the best defense in the league. Can't stop a Hail Mary. All right, so what, what's your number two? Is your number one what I think your number one is? It's probably what you think it is. I, I was <laughs> not very prepared for referee moments, just so you know. All right, I, I got another one. Um, the NBA gambling referee, Tim Donahue. He, tell me more. He, uh, I think he went to jail for betting on basketball games mm. and trying to fix games, calling fouls and shit. So he's not going into the Hall of Fame like Pete Rose. No, nah, he's sitting right next to Pete Rose in the fucking street corner. <laughs> Pete Rose, man, he he's looking he's looking like he's gonna live forever. He's on that Fox broadcast. He hasn't aged since he was. Pete, a coach. I was literally about to say Pete Rose has looked the same for twenty years. Dude, seriously, since he was on the bench, he's looked exactly the same. He was he was like super fit as a player, and as soon as he stopped playing, he looked like a fat fuck. Yep. All, All right, right, give me that. You're number one. I know it. I know what it is. Yeah. It, I mean, number one was. Armando Galarraga getting robbed by Jim Joyce of his perfect game at first base. Fuck Jim Joyce. That was before uh, baseball had instant replay, and, and the, it was the last out of a perfect game. Th- there's nothing more exciting than when you're watching like MLB Network or ESPN, and they're flipping into a pitcher every single time that they have a perfect game or a no hitter. And of course, when you got two outs in the ninth inning, everybody's watching Galarraga. And Joyce makes the call at first base safe. I think it was Brendan Ryan that ended up running out the ball. He was out by a fucking mile. And it was just, it was miserable. All in all, the MLB ended up overturning the decision and they gave Galarraga the perfect game, which I actually didn't know until I looked it up. So his final line was nine innings pitch, one hit, three strikeouts, and probably the most impressive part of it all, 88 pitches, under 10 pitches an inning. That's I mean he had that was a hell of a game and he was like a one hit wonder. And the the funniest part about all of it was the day afterwards, Jim Joyce, the guy that blew the call, handled the lineup cards and Galarraga brought it over for his team and fucking Jim Joyce was standing there at home plate crying like a little baby. He cried. Yeah, you don't remember that? No, I don't remember that. Good for him though. He yeah, felt I mean, bad. He he clearly felt bad. So all right, speaking of questionable calls, we'll get into a man who has built his entire career around getting help from referees. And that is James Harden. Harden has been going absolutely the fuck off Vince Young style. 21 straight games with 30 plus points. 36.3 points per game on the season. Averaging 43 points a game in January. And hasn't scored fewer than 35 points since January 7th. 
I mean, he's and been insane. Doing it 100% by himself. It's, it's almost like it's ridiculous that they even brought in Chris Paul because there's no way that the team is better with him on the court. But it's, it is. It's like the crazy thing. But James Harden has been doing like doing insane things with this uh, injured run right now. They just he's lost get, Capella. He, he's getting to the line 15 times a night, which you see on sports and you're like, damn, Harden's waiting like a bunch of threes, just like one dunk. But they don't show you like the hundred like pump fake th- foul shots he gets. So some some crazy stats about this run. He has scored 261 straight unassisted points. So ball hog. Second, in a 25-game sample, so he has 21 straight with 30-plus. I don't know how this could be correct. I saw this on the internet, and I feel like it's wrong now. But in a 25-game run, he has 1,014 points, which is more than Kyrie Irving has all season. I thought you were going to tell me about the dribbles. I want a dribble stat so bad. We'll have to look that up for next time. We'll start. We'll make that a segment, dribble stats. James Harden dribble update. All right, so do you, you got anything else about Harden? I mean, I felt like we had to touch on it. It's kind of like the, uh, the Super Bowl. It's one of those things that's just so hot in the news right now. We had to touch on him. Back to math predictions. De- definitely. O- over under the chances that the Rockets make it out of the first round. 75%. Ooh. That's a pretty good, pretty good percentage for them. The West is the West is competitive, dude. So, are, are you getting with that those dribble stats? We'll let you go. You can throw it in whenever you find it. Yep. Just give me a, give me a second. All right. Well, either way, we'll move along until you find it. Keeping with basketball, here's another segment that we're going to try and uh, throw in whenever it's relevant. Who is Russell Westbrook beefing with this week? Russell Westbrook is like the king of beefs, also the king of ridiculous outfits. And in the last seven days, he has had a beef with two different players, two different players that are way bigger than him, but not necessarily tougher than him. Uh, a couple of days ago, him and Jusif Nurkic for the Trailblazers got into it. Uh, Westbrook was asked about fighting through screens, and under his breath, he mumbled, I ain't talking about this clown. And Nurkic looks like a clown. Dude is not, he's like trying to be like that pretty boy uh, European. And doesn't really work when you're seven foot something. Now, Russell Westbrook, like, I, I love him because he's not buddy-buddy with anyone in the NBA. Yep. And uh, afterwards, when Nurkic heard about what Westbrook was saying about him, he tweeted something like Westbrick or something like that, which is the, the lamest burn you can throw out there. Kind of clever, but, I mean... Imagine Nurkic saying that to his face. What's up, Westbrook? I, I love uh, like the Europeans that are trying to get in the game. So uh, good for him, man. So uh, okay, along those good same for lines, Nurkic. A, another foreigner that is beefing with Russell Westbrook, Joel Embiid. They got into it a couple of games ago uh, after a hard drive to the paint. Embiid gave Westbrook a little bit of a push. And they got into each other's face. I think Westbrook ended up getting uh, teed up. And after the game, again, Westbrook was asked if he's cool with Embiid. And he replied with a firm fuck no. Love Russ. I just love that Russ isn't buddy-buddy. I mean, I just love that people go at him. Like, uh, whatchamacallit, Embiid's not afraid to go at anybody. Embiid's the ultimate troll. He was saying stuff about how Westbrook needs to get out of his feels. And he's always having, like, hissy fits and whatnot, which is true. I mean, like... 
Westbrook is one of those guys that you could probably make a really good collage of all of his like upset faces. Mm-hmm. He's got such a good like bald, shiny head upset look. Mm-hmm. And he's he's constantly he he's good with the hands too. Like when he's like stomper. Yep. Yep. yep stomper. Mm-hmm. He he throws those hissy fits like nobody else. So uh, those. I'm are having two. a hard time with that dribble step. By the way, so maybe That's next right. time. Maybe maybe next time. Uh, so West, Russell Westbrook beefing with Nurkic and Embiid this week. Two dudes way bigger than him. Who, out of those three, or out of those two, do you think either of them could win a fight against Westbrook? Uh, I would love to like think that Westbrook could like whip Embiid's ass, but like I don't know. Like I think Embiid might be able to just throw a fucking brick with his hand. What are the chances block. that Embiid is actually tough? I mean, he's he's so clever and he's a really good baller, but I I don't I don't think I see him as a fighter. He's more of a lover. I I, I can see that too, but I just would never fuck with anybody from Africa. <laughs> where, where is he actually from in Africa? I I don't want to like say something because I feel like that's like insensitive. I think that now that we have a legitimate uh, professional podcast, that we have to maybe not dip into those uncharted uncharted waters uh, i think that the only as frequently thing, the only thing that makes us professional is the fact that we both have spent real money on microphones and we're not just using like apple headphones anymore and then we have a name we do the name is what took a long time to get to and uh still a little bit ridiculous but i, I like it um whoa, whoa, right. whoa, whoa. so all right so here we are we're on the last topic of the day uh something that's probably most exciting for me i mean i'm Easily my favorite sport is baseball. Uh, usually the off season is my favorite time of the year because of the hot stove. The hot stove is burning, except it hasn't been at all this year. So the first piece of you know big news that we've had in a while, we had the Hall of Fame inductions. Uh, I think it was, was it yesterday on Wednesday. So yeah, it just came out. Uh, our boy, best closer of all time. Some may call him the GOAT, Mariano Rivera, the first ever player to be unanimously voted into Cooperstown. Uh, 19 seasons he played all with the Yankees with a major league best 652 saves, and he was obviously the best pitcher to ever pitch in the postseason. He had a .7 ERA and, again, a major league best 42 saves. Hell of a career. Definitely one of the best ever, but... The real, the real like talking point of the Hall of Fame is, why do you think that Mo got the one hundred percent, and no one else did? Is it because it's the social media era and no one wanted to get clowns? Is it because he actually deserved it and everyone was like, Mo deserves it, or is so, it okay? Go, yeah, well, I've, really heard, I've heard this debate options. coming up a lot, and the only player that you, I you think, basically have to have this debate if you have a podcast too, right? But. I do agree that definitely the social media era helped. If you were to list players that should have been unanimous before him, I think early days, Ted Williams, you know. Yeah, like, so, like, I mean, that's whatever. That's a hundred years ago. But, like, who wouldn't vote for that guy in his first ballot? And what about, so a little bit more recently then, Ken Griffey Jr. How is Ken Griffey Jr. not a unanimous Hall of Famer? Like, what schmuck was thinking that the kid was not literally one of the best players not only of his generation but of all time i mean he won i think it ended up being like 15 gold gloves or something like that had the smoothest swing in baseball so smooth i'm not going to complain mariano he's that dude 
Obviously, there is nothing better than getting to the end of a game and hearing Enter Sandman pipe through Yankee Stadium. Uh, the haters will say that he blew a few postseasons for us, obviously giving up that home run to Poppy in 04 when they broke the curse. But Mariano, GOAT, very happy for him. Few other players that we'll get to. Roy Halladay, RIP in peace. He got in with 85.4%. He won Cy Youngs in both leagues, 67 career complete games. That'll never happen again in the major leagues. He threw both a perfect game and a no-hitter in the same season. Perfect game against the Marlins. And the no-hitter was in the playoffs. Only two people have ever done that. uh, You know, to be honest, before this, I don't know if I would have ever considered you a Yankee fan, but since you introed yourself as a Yankees-Marlins fan, how hard was it for you to watch Roy Halladay pitch? I mean, that change-up sinker combo, it literally felt like everything was falling out for batters. Roy Halladay was sick. Um, I loved – I hated the Phillies. I just absolutely hate, like, any team from Philadelphia. I don't really even know why. That team that they had was one of the most unlikable teams of my entire childhood. And it was one of the most stacked teams of -hmm. all time, pitching staff-wise. We we looked back on it, like, a couple weeks ago, but they had such a staff, such a a lineup. They had Roy Um, Halladay, Cliff Lee, and there was one more guy. Oh, Cole Hamels. mm -hmm. They're fucking gross in the playoffs. And then they had the back-to-back-to-back. MVPs with Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley, and Ryan Howard. Definitely a team I didn't like. So other guys that got inducted this year, Edgar Martinez, possibly the best DH ever, career uh, 312 batting average, 309 home runs, and then another Yankee, if you want to call him that, Mike Messina, got in with uh, just under 77% of the votes. So Um, like Mike Messina is like kind of a steroid guy though, isn't he? I think he's probably he should be more along the lines of like the face of players that didn't do steroids because he always looked like an old man. No, Pettit was a steroider. Okay, so we'll get we'll get to Pettit. So some of the big names that didn't make it: Kurt Schilling, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, all right there in the sixty percent. They need to get seventy five percent to get in. You have to think that Clemens and Bonds are going to make it, and I mean Schilling too. He was another steroid user, I think, right? Dude, so all, Schilling was insane. Dude, fuck Schilling in that fucking bloody sock. That was literally one of the, <laughs> I, the... I mean, those were like my formative years of baseball fandom. And I just... You, you grow up hating Kurt Schilling. And then now you see how he is when he was in the media and stuff. And he's even more dislikable now. Just like if you're on Twitter, he's just got a fucking like 8 a.m. periscopes. Yeah. Steroid talk. So uh, <laughs> And the Dems. Do, do you think there's any scenario where, I mean, I'm not even going to talk about Schilling and Clemens because they're not nearly as high profile in my eyes as Barry Bonds. Is there any scenario where Bonds doesn't end up making it? I think if it if it comes down, comes down to it, he'll get in on his last year. I, I should have written down how many years he's been on the ballot already. I, I think I saw that he, he last year on the ballot is like 2022 or 2023. Yeah, Same I mean, thing with Clemens. There, there, that was another thing I heard on radio recently was that... Even then, like, A-Rod? He, well, A-Rod will definitely be part of that conversation moving forward. But they were saying something about Barry Bonds. If you look at him prior to the steroid years, which I think people just use his picture because of how much weight he gained, he still has, like, the highest war of, like, any outfielder if you take out his fucking steroid years. So he... Clearly one of the best hitters of all time. Um, used to be a pretty good base runner too. 
Then there's a few names that were under 50%. Omar Vizquel, kind of, he was more like an emotional attachment player. Not a Hall of Famer. Right. I don't know if I put him there. Uh, Manny Ramirez, another guy. Hall of Famer. No, see, I, I, th- I would put him in the same, the same tier as Omar Vizquel as someone that, like, if you have an emotional attachment to him, you would say he's a Hall of Famer, but otherwise, you could leave him out. Andy he's clutch. Pettit, you brought him up, steroid guy, uh, one of the best postseason starting pitchers of all time, and clearly had a pretty storied career with the Yankees and the Astros, and then uh, Sammy Sosa. Sammy's going to be the one left out of all this. I mean, if you see the way that he looks nowadays. Sam Sosa. You've seen that picture of him with his wife where he's all... Oh, on the cowboy hat, bro. Of dude, course. That's that's one of the best pictures ever. That We should make that the cover photo <laughs> of our podcast. Marking our territory, partner. <laughs> so, all right. Well, that, that's all I got. I feel like this was a pretty good... I got, I got a little more Hall of Fame talk. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of interested in like the whole vote. You know, it's like... You get like 15 years on the ballot if you stay above 5%. So oh, no, like, I thought that it was 10 years and that's that. Oh, 10 years? I All right, well, 10, 10 years. But if you stay above 5%, you stay on the ballot. So like why would you like vote for someone one year, not vote for them, and then like vote for them again? Or like not vote for them and then vote for them? Well, that, that's, that's the stupid thing is what, what makes people on a year-to-year basis – go from not including to including them on their ballot. And I think that, you know, maybe it has a little bit to do with the strength of the ballot. Like there's got to be people that get inducted every year, at least in the writer's eyes. But I don't know. The narrative changes, especially and, now. with and, and like, media. so you're only allowed to vote for like 10 people on the ballot. Like, why is that? No clue. There should be an unlimited Hall of Famers if you're a Hall of Fame worthy candidate. And like the thing I've been hearing, it's like the the one year only on the ballot, but unlimited votes. There was a few people this year, excuse me, that uh, got 0%. Jason Bay was one of them. Juan Pierre. Yeah, I mean, there was a few names there that like, they were the people that we grew up watching, which is kind of funny because it'll be funny as, so next year we got Derek Jeter up for the Hall of Fame. And obviously, with Mariano being the first ever unanimous player to get voted in, all eyes are going to turn to Jeter. And for the same reason, I think sentimental value, you got to think that Jeter's, I mean, he's going to make it. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But is he going to be the next unanimous? Because the floodgates are open now. Let's do one more math prediction. Okay. Percentage he's unanimous. I say 0%. I, the fact that there was even like, the fact that Mo got there shows like how much respect he had around the league, and maybe you'll have people actually make that heel turn where they're like, "All right, just because Jeter was the captain doesn't mean that he was one of the best players of his era." I would say that the chances he's unanimous are above fifty percent, maybe closer to like sixty-five, seventy, but I think that because of the way it went down this year, next year we're not going to see it. We're not going to see it happen two years in a row. Yeah, that's why I put it at zero. I would say the next person that will be a unanimous Hall of Famer will be Mike Trout. I mean, the dude, he's been in the league like seven years, and there's only been one season that he hasn't either won the MVP or been the runner-up of the MVP, and I think it's because he was hurt. Yeah, 
and that'll be a while, man. We'll be old when that that happens. That those will be the days when we'll be able to tell our kids. I watched Mike Trout play from his rookie season when he was twenty years old. Probably younger Dude, than you. Edgar Martinez. Like I remember, there was like a playoff at bat that Ed, Edgar Martinez had, and that was like one of like the first baseball memories I had. That old Seattle Mariners stadium with like only the dirt around the bases. I don't know why I. I don't actually remember a legit play, but for some reason, Greg Nettles, is that what his name was? The third baseman for the Yankees? I think his name was spelled like G-R-A-I-G, Greg, instead of Craig. I think he was the first person I remember seeing in the MLB. Um, Bernie Williams was another guy that was up there for me, but definitely the first like real baseball memory I have was the Red Sox coming back from down 3-0 in the ALCS. That was the year that I started biting my nails. <laughs> Fuck the Red Sox. Fuck the Red Sox. All right. Well, can we stop here then? I'm down. On that note, that is the first episode of Marking Our Territory with the Big Dogs, a sports podcast. I uh, think it was a real good one. We're gonna we're gonna do our best to get it up on iTunes, and uh, if you if we do, everybody rate, review, subscribe. You know the deal. We're gonna the goal for 2019 is to get this podcast to a thousand listens and. With how good we sounded tonight, I don't think it's going to be that hard. I don't. Once we're up there, we're going to get some some subscribes, some rates, some reviews. And I think we may have a interview that we're going to line up if we start getting some listens. And it'll be a big one for the first interview if we get there. So uh, the quicker we got to us... reach our goal. Yeah, the quicker you guys get us those listens, the quicker you guys get a juicy interview. All right. We'll see you guys next week. All right. Peace. Peace.